So if you have a Bible and would like to join us in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 26, that's where we're going to be located this morning for um, our sermon. As we continue on in our series, the story of the Savior, which we began uh, the new year, beginning of January, we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark um, bit by bit and learning week each week who Jesus is. And so, again, the point of this whole series is not so much to take away, okay, what can I do better as a Christian? The point of this series is to look at the story of the one whom the whole book is framed around, which is Jesus, and to see what is he doing and how can we be more like him? So our our aim is to look specifically at the person of Jesus, who is God in the flesh, and to watch what he's doing, how he's bringing about his kingdom, and what purposes for which he is living, and how what he is offering is totally different and unique to anything else that's happening in the world before or since. Jesus is the center of human history. And so it's with that that we come to Mark 4. So last week, Pastor Bob uh, preached on the parable of the sower. And so Jesus kind of invited his listeners and us into this agricultural metaphor, um, which if you're someone like me who is not a planter or a gardener, may not ring quite as true as people who are planters or gardeners. And so, um, so for some of us, these metaphors may make sense right away. And you're like, yeah, I get it. And for others, you're like, I spend my day in an office or at home and I don't really plant anything. So you have to explain some of these things. And so we're going we're gonna to meet each other where we are with each of those metaphors today. And so today, uh, Mark 4, we're going to be looking at Jesus the grower. Jesus the grower. I think all of us can at least understand what that means, is that Jesus is the one who grows things. So if there's nothing else you know about plants, you know that usually they start with a seed. And then if you, if you do a pretty good job nurturing it, it can grow into something. Um, However long it lives after that is kind of up to you for however well you nurture it. But it grows, and it's kind of a mystery. And that's it's something at least all of us can understand, at least to some degree. And we're going to dive into a little bit more of the depth of what that could mean spiritually for each of us today. So uh, just an opening story here. When I was a kid, I really wanted to play in the NBA. I wanted to be a professional basketball player. And I learned very quickly that no matter how many jump shots I take in the backyard, no no matter how good I get in shooting, it's not going to make a whole lot of difference if I'm not 6'6". So I really wanted to grow to be 6'6". And so what I would do as a kid is I I would watch a lot of Michael Jordan VHS tapes because he was my idol. I was watching him. I was like, I want to be like Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan said that when he was a kid, he he had the same goal I did. He wanted to be in the NBA, and he wanted to grow tall. So Michael Jordan said that he would hang from the monkey bars upside down to try to grow himself to be six foot six. And guess what? It worked for Michael Jordan. He became six foot six and the greatest basketball player of all time. So what I tried to do as a kid was what? Hang from the monkey bars upside down so I could grow to be six foot six. And guess what happened to me? I did not grow to be six foot six. I grew to be five eleven and a half, not even six feet. Although my license, it does say six foot tall. I rounded up, 
but I never was able to get to be six foot six, and I never made it to the NBA, even though I have a pretty good jump shot. I just was never good enough. And so that was even just one little way as I was growing up to, to realize I can't make myself grow tall. I can make myself grow probably wider. That may happen over time if I eat enough Oreos, but I can't make myself grow taller. There's certain things we just can't grow, right? And so how does growth happen? Some things you can kind of measure it by. Some things, it's not really up to us. There has to be another way that growth happens. And so the question we're going to look at this morning is how does God grow things? How does God grow his kingdom? And what are some things we can understand about who God is based off of how he grows things? And we've already spoiled the answer. Jesus is the grower. Jesus is the one who makes the growth happen. And so we're going to be answering this question from Mark 4. But before we even do that, two things I want you to remember as we learn today. Number one, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. It's a quote from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a preacher in London for many years. Quote, God has always done his greatest work through a remnant. Get rid of the notion of numbers. First thing I want you to remember today, God can cause kingdom growth to happen anywhere, no matter how many people are gathered. So I believe God could use this church of 20, 30, 40 people to do exponential kingdom growth that will last through the ages into eternity that we'll never be able to quite fathom, but he can do it through us if we're faithful. Point, that's the first thing I want you to remember. Second thing I want you to remember is 1 Corinthians 3, 6 to 7. This is what Paul says, the Apostle Paul. Quote, I planted... Apollos, his ministry partner, watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. That is the core scripture that we're not going to read today in the Mark Mark, uh, story, but it's one that is behind the scenes. We plant the seeds, maybe others come along and water it, but God ultimately is the one who gives spiritual kingdom growth. So with those couple of things in mind, if Jesus is the grower, and if he's come to bring God's kingdom, then how does he actually do it? How does Jesus grow God's kingdom? He's going to show us today through two really cool parables that don't don't take a lot of deep exegetical insight to understand. You can kind of get them, but I think there's some treasures here we can dive into and get into. So point number one, looking at the first couple of verses, verses 26 and 27, Point number one is Jesus grows God's kingdom in God's way. Jesus is radically consistent with how God chooses to grow things throughout the story of redemption in the Bible. So if you begin in Genesis and you read straight through the Bible, which I encourage you guys to do as a pattern for your Christian life, you'll begin to pick up patterns of how God grows things. And it's usually a little bit different than how we convince ourselves that things grow. So Jesus grows the kingdom of God in God's way. What does that mean? Well, Hudson Taylor, Pastor Bob on Wednesday mentioned Hudson Taylor, a famous quote he had. Hudson Taylor, a missionary in China in the 18th century, said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. So Hudson Taylor is getting at this idea of, okay, if we're obedient to God's way, then God will always provide the supply to make it happen. So what is God's way? First thing I want to point out from verse 26. 
God's way is often secret. It's often secret. So if you look at verse 26, you get this parable of uh, the kingdom of God as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. You get this farmer who goes around and just kind of throws some seed on the ground. And think about when you, when you scatter seed on the ground. It just kind of, usually seeds are small. They just kind of drop into the ground. And they kind of disappear. And you don't, if you weren't the one planting them, you wouldn't even necessarily know they were there. So last week in the parable of the sower, it talks about seeds that fall on things. And sometimes people come by and trample them or they fall on rocky soil. Often seeds can get destroyed because you don't even know that they're there. But the point is, is that the seed is there in secret. It's just kind of laying there obscurely. And so Jesus starts to unveil that God's way is often kind of secret. He drops these seeds into places. And if you're not really looking for it, you wouldn't even know that the kingdom seed has even been planted at all. There's probably people that drive by on Lafayette Street going to Marblehead every day that may not even notice this church here because they drive it every day or because they're just not looking this way or they just ignore it. This church is kind of a secret place to some people. And oftentimes God's work is that way. And Jesus kind of unveils this even through the use of parables. Right? So verses 33 and 34, the very end of the passage we're looking at today, it says that Jesus spoke with many parables of the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. You've probably asked yourself the question, why doesn't Jesus just tell it like it is? Why doesn't he just tell it plainly? And you even see the disciples kind of confused. They're like, why is he speaking in parables? Why isn't he just coming right out and saying it? And Jesus knew that if he just kind of blurted out what he said, what would probably happen to him right away? He kind of got hints at it a couple of weeks ago when Jesus said, I came to forgive sins, right? The Pharisees said, um, that's blasphemy. You should die for that. And it's, it's, it's almost like the disciples' way of seeing okay, yeah, if Jesus just comes right out and says what his aim is, it's going to go downhill pretty quick. So Jesus spoke a little cryptically. He spoke a little secretively. And isn't really the, aren't the best things in life often a little, got a little hint of secret to them? Just to illustrate that for a second, one of the things that always draws me when we're looking for a restaurant or we're looking for a hotel to stay at or like an attraction if we're going to a new city is we, we look for the things that are a little off the beaten path. And if you Google it and you find like an article on it, it'll say something like, this is Salem's best kept secret, right? Doesn't that entice you just a little bit to be like, ooh, not many people know about this. I kind of want to be in on the secret. Kind of, kind of gets you into this place. My, my parents, they own a bed and breakfast in North Carolina. It's been a family business for many years. And they kind of operate on this principle. They do a lot of word-of-mouth advertising. They don't necessarily put big posters up on the side of the interstate, you know, saying, come to our inn. They know that people that enjoy the place the best will be the ones who've heard it through someone they trust. Almost like a little hidden secret, like, hey, I think you'd really like this place. It's not necessarily for people just, like, pulling off the highway to go to, but... If you're looking for a certain kind of place, this would be the kind of place for you. 
And when Jesus is communicating about his kingdom, that's kind of how he's operating. Is it's the best kept secret that he would love anybody to know about, but he wants to make sure that the message is understood properly in its context. And so where is the seed scattered here in the first parable? It's scattered on the ground. It's, it's secret, like I mentioned. But it's stealthily invading the rest of the world, right? It's seeping into the soil. And if it's nurtured properly, it'll grow up well. And so let's go to the next verse, verse 27. So if God's way is secret, God's way is also a bit mysterious, It's a bit mysterious. Verse 27. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. The man sleeps and he rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. This is one of my favorite phrases right here. He doesn't know how. The man who planted the seed doesn't know how it grows. He just knows that he planted it and that the seed grew. I watered or I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. The seed grows not by the effort of the planter, but by the mysterious working of God. There are many places in the scriptures where it talks about God's will being once mysterious and now being made known. And so Paul, and I'm just going to read one passage here from Colossians 1. Paul says in Colossians 1, beginning in verse 26, The mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, but now has been revealed to the saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And he tells us what the mystery is. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery of God's way is being revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the grower. So when Jesus, this person, shows up and starts walking around Palestine and Dead people are raised. Blind people can see. People with demons have been released. People with injuries and withered hands now are healed. These are signs of the secret being made known to the world. God is the grower of the kingdom, and he's doing it through his person, Jesus. And it's pretty amazing. Last thing I want to say about God's way is that God's way is almost always through burial or death, you could say. So again, where is the seed here that the, that the planter drops a seed? Buried. Drops into the ground. It goes underground, into darkness. Into death, you could say. How does Jesus ultimately grow salvation for the entire world? By dropping himself into burial, into death, into darkness. And what's the, what's the key to both of these? The seed and Jesus. They both rise. They both break out of the dirt and they both produce glorious, beautiful, good fruit that can heal, that can change the world. And so God's way often is through burial and death. And that includes you and me. That if we're going to follow the way of Jesus, we're going to follow him into his death. And oftentimes that means into the ground, into our own burials, into our own places of darkness. Because that's where Jesus actually leads us through. But he also promises to rise us up, to resurrect 
us through death, uh, becoming like him in his death. So take heart. If you're in a dark place this morning, if you're in a place where you're struggling or you're going through something really difficult, stay faithful, stay obedient. And if you do so, God promises to bring you up and to do something beautiful through your life. God's kingdom growth, therefore, is unstoppable because not even ground or dirt or death can stop it, but actually that's exactly the path it's supposed to go through. So God's plan produces fruit by itself, it says in verse 28. It says the earth produces by itself. God's kingdom growth happens in God's way, which is through death. So it's a secret, it's mysterious, it's through death. That's kind of what God's way is like. Secondly, how else does God grow the kingdom? So let's transition here to verse 28 and 29, which kind of uh, tells what happens as the plant begins to break out of the ground. And so verses 28 and 29 shows us that Jesus grows the kingdom of God in God's timing. So first he grows it in God's way. Secondly, he grows it in God's timing, which this can be really frustrating to people like you and me today too, because we want things now. We want things in our timing. If I preach this sermon, I want to see change happen in your life. If we do something, if we put a big new sign out out front of the church building, I want more people to come in. Right? If I bake a cake, I want people to eat it. That's that's kind of how our, our, our mentality works. God does things at his own timing. So how does verse 28 and 29 show this? First, I want you to see the progression. Look at verse 28. So it says, the earth produces by itself. So again, the earth is helping grow this plant. But then look, it's progressive. First, the blade shows up, and then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. And then verse 29, but when the grain is ripe, at once the person who sows puts it in the sickle because the harvest has come. Do you know the progression there, though, of how things happen? How the, how the seed is growing here into into a harvest. He doesn't just say, oh, and the seed grew up in a harvest and they picked it up and, and it was full. No, it's progressive. And this is how God's kingdom in the parable works as well. Again, it's a great practice to read Genesis to Revelation throughout a whole year. It's a hard thing to do, but just take a little bit day by day. You can do 15 minutes a day and read the whole story of the Bible in 365 days. And why is that important? Because it reminds us that God has been progressively unveiling his redemptive plan from the beginning of time. And it's been escalating, and it's going to climax one day when Jesus comes again. And we don't know when that day is. Like we said earlier, the the whole world has to have the gospel preached to it before he says the end will come. But we see signs of the kingdom of God progressing throughout the ages, just like this plant progresses as it grows. And so God grows his kingdom progressively. God's timing does have a final day when the harvest will come, like verse 29 says, when he puts the sickle in and the harvest comes. But here's the thing about sickles in the Bible. I don't know if you've ever really studied, I haven't really much until this week, the use of the word sickle in the Old Testament. But here's something you you should learn today. Sickle refers to judgment. When, when, when he talks about him putting the sickle in for the harvest has come, that means in Old Testament terminology that it's the day of judgment. 
So you can go to the book of Joel, chapter 3, or Revelation and 14, chapter 14. Both talk about this idea of him putting the sickle in when the harvest comes. And that means that judgment day has come for each of us. And so in the parable here, he's saying that God's progression is going to lead to a place where ultimately we all will have to come before God and be judged. So that's why we took that moment earlier of silent prayer, of confession, of repentance, to prepare ourselves for that and to be honest about that. And judgment is to be feared by those who are not in Christ, for those who have not put their faith in him. But for those who have put their faith in Jesus, there is nothing to fear about Judgment Day. The harvest will be one big festival. It will be a banquet dinner, a celebration of the end of sin and death, and a celebration of the life that is to come. And that's what God's progressive kingdom ultimately will lead to. Last point. Jesus grows the kingdom of God in God's way, in God's timing, for God's ultimate purposes. And that's what this last parable gets at with the mustard seed, which is one that is a very familiar passage. A lot of us have heard the story of the parable of the mustard seed, but the big idea of it is that God accomplishes his purposes in any way he wants. And God grows his kingdom ultimately to accomplish his purposes. And he's using Jesus himself to bring about his ultimate purposes of redemption. And so God's purposes are not done through kings or through governments or through powerful people or through rich people or through huge marketing schemes. God accomplishes his purposes through humble servants. That's how he's always delighted to grow his kingdom, through humble servants, through people who are just faithfully, obediently following Jesus in their everyday, ordinary lives and trying to be as faithful and obedient as they can possibly be. You don't have to be president or sultan or dictator to make a difference in God's kingdom. Actually, God has proven through the scriptures that he actually prefers to use mustard seeds, mustard seed type of people. So just give you a couple of things about mustard seeds. Again, I didn't know much about mustard seeds other than just this parable. So I did some research this week. Did you know that mustard seeds are the second most used spice in America? And I did a quick Google search. And there's seven reasons why you should include mustard seeds in your diet. Who knows if these things are true, but I thought they were kind of fascinating. I'm going to tell you. One article said mustard seeds can prevent cancer. They can provide relief from headaches or migraines which we need to remember this because I admitted to you a couple weeks ago, I get migraine headaches. I'm looking for something to help. Number three, they're good for digestive health. Number four, they're good for cardiovascular health. Number five, they strengthen your bones, your teeth, and your gums. Number six, they're good for your skin. Number seven, they prevent aging. Who knew? Mustard seeds. These tiny little seeds can all do that. Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? I think it's pretty amazing. So think about Jesus and his 12 disciples, the mustard seed of Israel, the tiny, obscure little group of ragtag guys that were going around Palestine preaching the kingdom of God. In comparison with Rome, the mighty empire, or Herod the Great, 
They had no chance of making any influence, right? And yet, within a hundred years, Christianity spread throughout the entire Mediterranean, around the entire Roman Empire. So much so that a guy wrote a book a couple years ago called The Rise of Christianity, How an Obscure Small Sect of Believers Changed the World. And the whole book is based on this idea of how can a small little thing that's in the corner of one little tiny country have millions of worshipers throughout the ages around the world? How can that happen? And his, his ultimate conclusion in that book was that it was through love, caring for the widows and orphans, doing things that other organizations or, or societal means couldn't do, but out of a genuine love of Jesus and of God that actually permeated and changed a whole society that people just, they didn't quite understand it, but they longed for it. That's what you can summarize his 300-page book in. It's just, they were filled with the love and fuel of Jesus. And it, their good news uh, changed the world. Verse 32, it says that this mustard seed grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants. And it puts out large branches. So to finish the sermon today, I want to um, I put a couple of pictures on the slides that I'm going to have Kevin put up here in just a moment. But I want to show you what the largest seed in the world looks like. So Kevin, I think you can put it up there now. That's the largest seed in the world. Again, it's amazing what you can find just through a few searches. That's the largest seed in the world. It's called the Lidocia maldificia. I think that's how you pronounce it. I don't know. It's in the islands of Seychelles in the Pacific. And it grows up into a double coconut tree. So these seeds are 55 pounds. 55 pounds. 19 and a half inches long. And you can buy these single nut for $650 at the cheapest. And the tree can grow up to be 186 feet tall. So show the neck. Yeah, there's the picture of the tree. 186 feet tall. That's what they grow up into. The largest seed in the world grows up into that. But... The fruit requires six to seven years to mature and a further two years to germinate. And it says here that due to over-harvesting, there are now only around 8,000 of these that are in nature. Uh, And they're just on these two islands in the South Pacific. So this was once believed to be um, a very widespread thing. But now, most of them are found rotting in the ocean because they can't even float. So if they, get to, if they touch water at all, they just sink and they rot. And they don't actually have a whole lot of usefulness around the world. It's just kind of stuck on these two islands for you to go find. Now let's go back to the mustard seed. So Kevin has a picture here of the mustard seed. That's a mustard seed. It's one of the smallest seeds in the whole world. It ranges from 0.039 to 0.079 inches in diameter. Tiny. But it takes just 8 to 10 days to germinate. And mature mustard plants grow into shrubs. And so you'll see what it grows into there. That's what the tiny mustard seed can grow into uh, in a lot of places. Certainly they're in Israel, but now they're all over the world. They grow anywhere where there's a temperate climate. Uh, major producers of mustard seeds include India, Pakistan, Canada, Nepal, Hungary, Great Britain, and the United States. And they're used as spices all over Pakistan, India, Sri Lanka, Nepal, Bangladesh. And these bushes can reach up to 20 feet spread. 
sometimes even 30 feet under ideal circumstances. The leaves can be one inch wide and three inches long. And they show this beautiful yellowish color. And here's the last thing I want to say about the mustard seeds and these mustard shrubs that grow up. So maybe you heard about this. A couple of years ago, there was a beautiful thing happening just outside of Los Angeles. And it was called the Super Bloom. Super Bloom. And so this is a picture of what the Super Bloom looked like in Los Angeles a couple of years ago. Where on these mountainsides, all these different plants and flowers started growing. Different colors, different shades. And just created this spectacular ravine of, of color. Looked like a rainbow of, of flowers. And so people would drive for miles to go see these things. Uh, just kind of a, a strange thing of nature that happened. But the LA Times kind of picked up on a secret underbelly of the super bloom. Of something that was kind of insidious that they found that was behind it. And this is what they said. It's an April 2019 article that says this. The super bloom is pretty dangerous. An invasive mustard seed is fuel for the next fire. So if there's anything you know about California, is that they struggle with fires, right? It's, it doesn't take much for a fire to start. And this article was saying that these mustard seeds are like super flammable. So if they catch any kind of fire, they're the ones that cause these fires to spread. But I just, I, again, think about what we're learning about the mustard seed, the small little seed that grows up into these bushes. It can be beautiful. This is, I think, what God's talking about when it comes to the kingdom of God and how it grows. Let me just read a little bit from this article. So it says, Thanks to Southern California's wet winter, the Santa Monica Mountains are alive with luminous purple uh, flowers. I can't, I can't pronounce these flowers. But amid the joyful eruption of native wildflowers, an aggressive interloper has also returned. The yellow bloom of the invasive plant, uh, also known as the black mustard, has covered the hillsides throughout the Santa Monica Mountains and much of the West. This person says, it's something people tend to misunderstand. They see a nice yellow field in the distance, but on closer inspection, it's actually just a mustard field. And so it says, mustard plants lay down thousands of seeds and are one of the first plants to spring up after a fire. It says, it's a vicious cycle. This person says, it's a terrible, invasive species. It's so widespread. It doesn't even meet the criteria of being something we can actually manage on a large scale. The invasive plant was brought in from Eurasia to the the Pacific coast by Spanish colonizers. And it was intended to be a spice crop, but it quickly spread. Experts say it can be combated locally, but will probably never be eradicated. Mustard plants themselves don't carry fire particularly well, he said. But in a wind-driven fire, they will burn. Weed experts say that the mustard plant's omnipresence serves as an example of what can happen if an invasive species goes untreated. No way we are going to get rid of the black mustard, they said. We have so much of it. We can try to protect areas that don't have a lot of it yet. But we will never eradicate the black mustard. Why do I read you this story? Jesus grows his kingdom. He says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that grows into this wide, expansive, unstoppable force. And as negative as the LA Times is trying to make the mustard seed here seem with regards to fires, it actually cues us into a spiritual metaphor 
of the reality that God's kingdom is unstoppable because it's used and it's grown by small, humble means that no one expected to explode the way they did, and it can't be stopped. You can't ever eradicate the church because God's plan is moving forward. Jesus is the grower. He uses humble servants to grow his kingdom, and it cannot be stopped. Around the world, it can't be stopped. We're an invasive species. That's what the church is. And when it catches fire, and when the wind blows it, the spirit blows it, it will spread like wildfire and bring beauty to the nations. Pretty cool, I think. Kingdom growth is never about you and me. The ultimate point of the mustard seed is not to just grow a really big thing, but actually to provide shade so that birds can provide nests in their branches. And so is the church. We don't just grow to be a huge, great organization. We grow so that good can happen in the world. So that people and the nations and the creation can find shade under the wings of the one who is able to provide ultimate rest. And that is why Jesus grows his kingdom through mustard seeds. Jesus is the only grower of the church. He is the one that is pushing his gospel forward. And he wants to use you and me. Let's pray as we finish. Heavenly Father, that we would be like a mustard seed. I admit, I don't want to be small or obscure or yellow (laughs) or something that is humble often. There's so much of my pride that just wants to be big and grand and large. But help Help teach us and remind us each day that you delight in those that put themselves before you on our faces, humbling ourselves so that you might receive glory. God, you've always done your greatest work through a remnant. Help us to get rid of the notion of numbers. You always give the growth, and we give you praise for that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.